In an attempt to avoid the negative consequences of some social media usage by minors, including poor self-esteem, diminished mental health, and the potential development of addictive behaviors, state policymakers announced plans to change how young people can access platforms like TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, proposing legislation requiring kids under 18 get parental consent to access social media platforms and could impose limits on when and what social media aspects of a program they're able to access in a given day. To discuss the opposition to this legislative approach, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Julie Samuels, founder and president of Tech NYC, which represents more than 800 New York tech companies, startups, and investors. Welcome back to the show, Julie. Thanks for having me. So the governor, the state attorney general, and some state lawmakers have argued that the current utilization of social media on mobile devices by minors is unhealthy. When you think of the current landscape, the status quo, so to speak, as it pertains to minors and their well-being, is there a problem with the current social media consumption? Um, There are legitimate concerns about the children's use of social media. Frankly, there are legitimate concerns about everyone's use of social media. Uh, Social media is still a fairly new construct. Uh, There's a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty. But I want to place this conversation in something a little bit broader, which I think is really important. Uh, Data are very clear that mental health, particularly as it relates to children, has been declining in this country for the past half a century. And so while we are seeing um, some real challenges with children today and children who are on social media, I don't think we can say that is because of social, that is solely because of social media. Well, I don't think anyone's saying that it's solely because of social media, just that there is a contribution and that if we can regulate it or do something to address it, that there needs to be something done. So when you think about the idea that something needs to be done, is there any low-hanging fruit that uh, could be uh, addressed when it comes to preserving the mental health or future well-being of young people when it comes to their social media habits? There are legislative proposals all over the country, not just here in New York that and, and in Congress too at the federal level, that focus on kids' use of social media. Uh, a lot of them are a little different. Some of them are similar. Everyone that's passed is hung up in litigation, uh, is not actually implemented. And so I don't, none of those bills are going to be helping any kids anytime soon. And I think there are things we can do that will have a more immediate impact. Uh, There's a lot more that we can be doing as a society, as a state to educate children, to educate parents about uh, the most Uh, beneficial ways, the healthiest ways to use social media products. I think that we could all benefit from that. I know I, as a parent, could benefit from more information around how to better understand my kids. Well, my kids don't use social media yet, but to understand kids using social media and frankly, grownups using social media as well. You mentioned the legal challenges that have been brought in response to efforts to uh, regulate uh, social media usage. And uh, in response to that concern, the state attorney general of New York says that the two bills that are being championed by her and the governor, as well as some Democratic state lawmakers, were specifically tailored to address some of the issues that have been uh, brought up and addressed in other litigation. So what do you think of this idea that the bills uh, being advanced now in 
in New York, which include a parental consent uh, legislation as well as a legislation dealing with data collection, are going to pass that constitutional muster. Listen, I don't have any direct information from any uh, specific potential plaintiff, but I feel pretty confident that these bills are going to get challenged. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that, I should say, the bills in their current form, if they become law, will get challenged. And we'll have to see how that plays itself out. But again, given the track records on these bills in other states, at, at, at a minimum, I think it's safe to say that won't be a quick process. We put age restrictions on all sorts of things that society deems potentially uh, dangerous or whether they're things that people aren't uh, deemed to be able to use until a certain age, uh, whether it's uh, when you can buy alcoholic drinks, when you can use an ATV unsupervised, when you can go to an R-rated movie by yourself. So is social media something that should be subject to the same sort of age restrictions? Well, one of the complaints you hear from the people who understand the technology quite deeply is that it's actually very difficult um, to discern how old someone is on the internet. Uh, And that lends itself to, I think, a really important conversation about what implementing legislation like this would actually look like. Um, You know, there, there used to be a joke, I don't know if people still make it, that on the internet, no one knows I'm a dog, right? Which is to say, you could just click a button that says, however old you are, how are we going to know how old people are? We're going to have to uh, potentially use uh, sensitive information, personally identifiable information, information that privacy advocates are very worried about being shared online. Well, I apologize for my incredulity here, though. You mentioned the idea that it's tough to verify people's ages, but The social media sites that I utilize, the websites that I visit, seem to know everything about me and my habits and are able to give me videos tailored to my interests and seem to have a pretty good handle on who I am and my identity. So are we really to believe that those same tools and assessments can't be utilized to determine if a person's behavior and their browsing habits uh, suggest that they are a minor, for example? Well, suggesting that someone is a minor and knowing for certain that someone is a minor, which is the standard in the legislation, is actually really different. So is it the case that we should tweak the standard then, and that would be a middle ground where the tech companies and lawmakers could exist on? I mean, I think that there is room for debate here, and there's also room for compromise in some of the specifics in these bills. But I I also know, and in fact, I just, just... This morning, when we're recording this, came from a conference on on this issue, not focused on the New York bills, but focused on these kind of child privacy efforts that we see happening internationally, as a matter of fact. And there is real concern, particularly among marginalized communities, particularly among, uh, we had, I heard from some folks from some who represent immigrant groups. Uh, I heard from some folks who represent particularly uh, uh, compelling, frankly, were groups that represent Uh, LGBTQ youth. And for a lot of those people, the internet and social media has provided a real haven to find people like themselves. And once you start talking about having to prove your identity through ways that might tell other people, like, for instance, perhaps, I don't know, your parents, perhaps uh, the authorities, things about yourself that for some reason you might want to keep private, uh, that can get really messy. And I, I doesn't mean we shouldn't 
I want to be clear. I'm not saying this means we shouldn't do anything here. It doesn't mean we should just like let kids run roughshod all over the internet however they want. But it means that when we craft these policies, we need to be really careful to protect the parts of, of the internet and the parts of social media that are in fact working well for people, particularly marginalized groups. Do the benefits, though, of those situations you just outlined when it comes to marginalized groups, do those benefits, though, outweigh the negative experiences those same communities have had on social media platforms, leading them in some cases to commit suicide because of bullying on social media platforms? Because it doesn't necessarily seem like the Internet has been a great form of of relief and a platform for uh, all marginalized people. Well, listen, I can only tell you what I've heard other people who work more directly with those communities and who are part of those communities. I can only tell you what I've heard them say. And I have heard from a lot of people who feel very strongly that sometimes, you know, those benefits do outweigh some of the risks. In fact, I heard from a woman today who works for the Trevor Project, which is an organization that focuses on uh, depressed LGBTQ youth and she feels very strongly that it is really important that that reg- proposed regulations, proposed legislations like this don't create a space where folks who use the Trevor Project services can't find each other. She's in, and she was incredibly worried about that. Um, and so I think that that coming back to what I said at the very top, when we understand that social media is you know potentially just one of many things that drives depression in young children that drives mental health problems in young children when taken together with this understanding that that there are reasons why we need to be mindful that social media is also helpful for people uh, i think it's really important that we don't just move too quickly here in a way that that shuts down some of the positive things listen politics around technology right now are complicated it is very popular in certain circles to beat up on tech particularly large big tech companies. I'm not going to pretend that those companies are all, you know, blameless here, but I am going to say that I, I don't think it's so straightforward. I don't think this is such a black and white conversation. There's a lot of positive that comes from these services. And I think we need to think long and hard about what those externalities look like. You mentioned the idea of black and white when it comes to high tech companies, social media companies specifically. Is it safe to agree that it is a black and white issue that these companies, when we think about social media platforms, have a vested interest in having their users stay as engaged for as long as possible? I mean, just like how Netflix starts playing a new video as soon as you finish what you're watching. I mean, it's not like YouTube says, hey, you've seen enough today or Instagram tells you you've scrolled for a couple hours. You're good. I mean, they keep feeding you. That's by design, right? Um, is, I mean, obviously that's by design. Is it black or white that that's what they want? I mean, I think you can draw your own conclusions. I don't obviously, you know, speak, well, I speak for the companies. I don't work at the companies. Um, of course they want to keep you online. They're, they're, they're and isn't that a problem then if we're talking about young kids who might not have the ability to break away from this? Cause I know adults well, don't have the ability in some situations. <laughs> sure. I listen, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that that there's a lot of input here. That's not just a piece of legislation like this, that this legislation might be a piece of this. And we can talk about whether the specifics here would result in kids spending less time online. Uh, we can talk about the specifics here of what having, uh, what's how you kind of rank the feeds. You know, we haven't really 
talk specifically about this yet, but one of the bills uh, talks about what they call addictive feeds, how mm -hmm. they use algorithms. We can talk about that, but there is a lot uh, of other things that we can also do as a society that helps keep kids off social media if that's what we want to do. And we can do that, I believe, in ways that have less uh, unintended negative consequences. For instance, you said earlier, you know, you talked about how we have age limits uh, for drinking alcohol. So fine, great. Uh, I will tell you, <laughs> I don't know if I should or not, but I don't think I'm alone that like those age limits didn't stop me from drinking alcohol before I was 21. However, I will also tell you that at the same time, we had robust education campaigns in my schools, in my community around why it was dangerous to drive drunk. And while maybe I was drinking underage, breaking rules, I was not driving drunk. And what I'm trying to say with that example, which is maybe a little embarrassing now that I think about it, is that there's got to be more to this than just passing a law. And I don't see those conversations happening in a, in a very robust way. And I find that troubling. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot more ground for us to cover, including my own underage drinking habits that we won't have a chance to get into. Uh, we've been speaking with Julie Samuels. She's the founder and president of Tech NYC. Julie, thank you so much, and I hope we will be able to talk about this more in the future. You know where to find me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.